Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. We often have opportunities to be guests on other podcasts, and we've had some great conversations. We would hate for you to miss them. Because we're taking the month of July off from recording new episodes, we thought it would be the perfect time to share some of those interviews with you right here on our podcast. This is one of our favorites. We hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. We are so excited uh, for this episode of the Honestly Adoption podcast, because if you were at the Insight Conference a couple of weeks ago, then you got to hear our very special guests, Melissa Corkum and Lisa Qualls, talk about how the Enneagram, yes, the Enneagram can help us become better parents. And that, first of all, that session was amazing. And we're still getting comments about that. People loved it. Um, This is such an enlightening topic. So I'm excited to welcome Lisa and Melissa to the Honestly Adoption podcast. Ladies, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. It's always exciting to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we're really excited because one, you guys are just friends of ours and people that we respect. And so it's exciting to get to spend a little bit of time talking to you. But it's also really exciting because we're talking about the Enneagram. And you guys are doing some special work within um, the understanding of the Enneagram and how that um, functions within the context of foster care, adoption, adoptive families. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, we both discovered the Enneagram at about the same time, I think, but independently of each other. And when we started talking about it together, we were both just so impacted by the way it helps us understand ourselves, how it helps us understand the people we love, our kids, our spouses. And we were also so interested in the fact that it actually doesn't just talk about what we do. The Enneagram goes much deeper into the motivation behind what we do. And so it really explores deeper matters of the heart, I think. And it can help us see a path for growth in our own lives. Let me to add something. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a good editor. I was like, Oh, we do. I I almost pointed to us. We do. (laughs) Go. We do. This is, this is every interview about how we connected on it and what we decided to do, Melissa. Okay. Sure. Yeah, so Lisa and I came together because of similar adoption experiences, found that we both love the Enneagram. And, you know, we would have these side conversations in between some of the other work we were doing with the Adoption Connection. And, you know, the Enneagram, because it tells us why we do what we do, obviously has a bajillion applications, right? People are using it in business and in parenting and for self-discovery and personal development and all of these things. And we just kept coming back to how it explained so much of our own personal experiences through foster care and adoption. I mean, me as an adoptee, Lisa as a birth mom, us both as adoptive parents, how it explained differences in how 
uh, we experienced our adoption stories from our spouses, how our kids experience us as parents. I mean, it just kept going on and on and on. And we just kept thinking, you know, there is something to this. And we were having these aha moments that we felt like we needed to share these with the community because there's so much depth and richness um, and overall benefit. And so, yeah, so here we are, we're like going deep in both the adoption and the Enneagram. Okay. We had the opportunity right at the beginning of sort of the COVID pandemic shutdown, we had the opportunity to become certified as Enneagram coaches through Jeff and Beth McCord and the Your Enneagram Coach uh, program. And so that was really exciting because we started thinking, wow, how can we use this to serve our people? How can mm-hmm. we, this is such a transformative tool. And so, yeah, we, we've been thinking about it the whole time we were going through our training. We we're like, ah, that could be helpful. That could be helpful. Yeah. So- you know, it, I, well, I, and I, I guess going back to the insight conference, which I just mentioned a moment ago, um, the, that's the reason why we we invited you guys when we first started talking back in the winter about insight. When we when we talk about us as parents, you know, uh, there's been a lot. We all attend conferences and we ten, attend seminars and we've we've talked about every topic under the sun when it comes to our children. But when it comes to us as caregivers and what we how what makes us do what we do or think the way we think. I think the reason why it was we jumped at the chance to have you guys join us for the Insight Conference is because that's that's not a conversation we're having very much. You know, I mean, we we talk about self care. We've talked about self care. We've I've been to workshops about that, and you know, and been to seminars about that. But when it when it comes to like getting into like the the inner workings of our personalities and why we respond to certain behaviors, the way we respond to them. Um, you know that i i think this is really unique because um it goes way past just like the surface like you know you're tired you're exhausted and that's why you're frustrated okay well i need to know more than that like how do i how do i get to a place where i gain such an understanding of myself that i can begin to take a step back and really understand, okay, I, I see this this way because of this. I don't know if this, any of this makes sense, but that's why I think um, the conversation you guys had at the conference was so important. That's why I'm excited for the conversation we're having today as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many blanket statements that we try to use in the adoption world. All of our kids have a, you know, a shame core that is easily triggered. All adoptive parents need to self-care in this way, X, Y, and Z. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that there's always these outliers, right? And I, that was my experience as an adoptee is people were saying all adoptees feel this way. And that wasn't my experience. And so I think what the Enneagram does is it helps us be a little bit more nuanced about my child is acting this way, possibly because of trauma, but also possibly because of some other core motivation or my self-care as a seven might look different than Lisa, your self-care as a three, at least the thing that's going to be the most efficient, the most effective way to get me back to my best version of myself. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, that nuance is helpful because we don't have time as adoptive parents, exhausted adoptive parents, right. To try all the things. Wouldn't it be great if we had a tool that helped us try the thing that was going to be the most helpful for us and our families. 
And I think the Enneagram too, when we begin to understand our deepest core longings and our deepest struggles, it can help us, you know, we're all trying to be the best parents we can be. And it can help us once we identify those to know when we're starting to drift away from our healthiest version of ourselves. You know, um, I think Beth McCord talks about it as the Enneagram is kind of like an internal GPS that gives us a path to follow. And that when we, when we drift off, we begin to hit those rumble strips, like on the side of the road. And it's like a warning sign, like, Oh, I am heading in a direction. I don't want to go. I'm going to bring myself back to the balanced middle. So it sounds like understanding a little bit more about the Enneagram, um, helped you to understand yourself, your spouse, your children, what, what changed? Um, once you started to have that understanding, can you give us some examples of what that looks like to really understand yourself, first of all, and then begin to understand the people around you? Well, I can speak for me. I, my dominant type is a seven. And so for those of you who aren't familiar, that just means that my kind of core fear is that either I won't be taken care of, or I'll be trapped in boredom. And so my coping mechanisms look like trying to find the bright side of everything, avoiding pain, you know, over, you know, thinking things to the positive kind of reframing in real time. But when I'm stressed, a couple of things can happen with a seven, but my kind of typical move is to go towards a one, the critical side of a one ones are what we call the improvers, right? So they're, superpower is that they're helping make the world better. And their kryptonite is that they kind of look at the world with a critical eye because they see so much that can be improved. And so that's what I tend to do when I'm stressed is I tend to get very critical of usually the people around me, not even myself. And so without the Enneagram, you know, I walk into my house that has a lot of people and currently a construction, you know, situation going on. And I see all the mess and it becomes about everyone else, right? It's why can't anyone put their crap away? Why is this person doing this thing? Why is that person leaving their, you know, dirty dish here and that thing there? And it becomes about everyone else's problem. Yeah. Now with the Enneagram, my rumble strips are the, that critical nature in myself. Now I know that, right? Knowing's half the battle. And so when I walk into my house and I feel that critical spirit raising in me, I think, hmm. What's going on with you? Like, how was your day? Do you need like a little bit of self-care or a little bit mm. of time alone or recharge? Like it's about, because my house obviously is kind of a mess all the time. And so why is it that on a Tuesday afternoon, after walking into it five previous days without saying anything, I walk in on a Tuesday and like erupt and all of my people are like, whoa, like what the heck, ma? Like yeah. what happened to you. Right. And so then I am self-aware enough about myself to know yeah. one, I should just keep my mouth shut and go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and two, it's not about them. Right. It's about me. Yeah. So for me, I am a three, which means that my core fear for the most part is feeling incompetent, appearing worthless, mm. failing, failing is just oh, terribly, terribly yeah. painful for me. And so when I think about that in terms of my general parenting, let's not even, not even talking adoption. Um, I began to really understand why I would have this sense of anxiety 
when I thought my kids were going to fail and why it was so difficult for me to let them fail, how I wanted to kind of protect them and shore them up so that they wouldn't have to experience this because to me, that is a devastating feeling. But the truth is my kids aren't wired the way I'm wired necessarily. They are their own dominant Enneagram type. And I have one that is has identified herself as the same number as me, but the others are very, very different. And so I was really placing my idea of success and failure on my kids in a way that really was not helpful. And so that when I realized that, I also began to realize that when I'm in stress, you know, Melissa moves toward that perfectionism. I move between two other numbers, between a six and a nine, and a six tends to function under stress with a lot of fear. Hmm. And that's where I go. So I always, I would tell Melissa for a long time, I'm just an angsty three. I'm just, I'm just an anxious three, but I realized it's, it's more than that. It's, um, it's that move in both strength and weakness to a six. And then when I'm in really extreme stress, like deep grief, I make a move toward nine yeah. and I just shut down because yeah. when a nine is in stress, they shut down. So anyhow, we're, we're throwing out a lot of numbers there. And I know for people who aren't familiar with the Enneagram, you might be thinking what on earth, but I don't think we even <laughs> explained that with the Enneagram, the Enneagram has identified nine basic mm-hmm. Enneatypes, personality types. So nine different colored lenses through which we all see the world. And when you understand that you, we believe that you are born with your your type, you are wired mm. and created in a way to be your particular type. And when you can figure that out, then it helps to make sense of a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm truly fascinated by it. And I still haven't figured out, at least I think that the reason why you and I have had like a lot of conversations around what we do as coaches and writers uh, especially, I think we've kind of teetered on that, like, oh my gosh, this is hard. This has been frustrating. I feel defeated by this. I'm guessing I may be right along the lines uh, with you in terms of the number that you are, because I'm, I feel the same way. Like I, I am like, man, in terms of like failure, self-doubt, all those things, I, I wrestle with that stuff all the time. Even if right in front of me, I ha- I can just point to like five big wins you know, I still, I it just, I wrestle over that. Now I do I, back to what Melissa said about rumble strips. You guys both made this comment. Um, and I love that illustration because, you know, one of the things that we do um, in our approach with the honesty adoption company is, you know, we want to help parents become the best parent possible. Like all of our resources, all of our training, all of our coaching goes towards that. And, um, I, that's the reason why I'm so fascinated by this conversation, because I think it does, it helps us become the best parent possible. Um, but I want, if you guys could speak to that, how does understanding, you know, um, your motivation, understanding, you know, your motivation, the way that you tick for lack of a better way, way to say it, uh, how does that change the way that you interact with the world? You know, how do you, how does that change how you interact with your family? Cause you guys have mentioned that but I would love for you guys to speak to that a little bit uh, more in depth. Well, I think understanding brings us, it's like the beginning of change, right? And so mm-hmm. we've explored some basic concepts with, with groups of adoptive parents. And one of them is why did we adopt in the first place, right? Because that's the kind of nexus of our expectations for what we thought adoption might be. 
And it's so fascinating whenever we have this conversation, one is um, some people had never really thought too much about it, but two, it almost always comes back to our core motivation, right? Why we do what we do, why we adopt. And so when we start exploring that, and then we can kind of start to untangle our expectations and the things that we're projecting onto our kids and separate that from our own stuff. Um, I mean, that, that changes everything. I think that's been one of the most interesting questions we've asked in our groups where we're discussing the Enneagram and adoption is what, what do you think led you to that decision and how does that relate to your number? And, you know, in my own experience, being a three, um, you know, being a mom was something that I felt really successful at. I felt like I was a good mom. I loved being a mom. I, um, I loved my family. And I just thought it was sort of like this meeting of my faith and my experience and how I'm wired as a person all coming together to lead us to say, you know what, we love being parents. We think we're doing a pretty good job we would love to parent more children Mm. who need a family. Now, when it became so much harder and complex than we ever, ever dreamed, which I know every single one of us here can relate to that, when it became so difficult, it really shook me to my core because my um, kind of identity as being a good mom was so shaken. And, you know, I already mentioned that the core fear of a three is failure and also public failure, you know, not just private failure, but even more so public failure, which I think Mike was addressing, you know, for me to go from feeling like, hey, we're we're pretty good family to we are the huge mess Maybe I am not a good mom. And in fact, maybe I never was in the first place. That was a true deep crisis for me. And I've talked about this before, but I, in that time period, I wrote a blog post called I used to be a good mom because that felt like it had been stripped away. When Mm. I learned my dominant type, I was like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. Why that was so incredibly painful and truly devastating to me. So when you're asking people, what's your motivation behind adopting, for instance, how does one answer that question? How do you, how do you find out personally, what's my motivation behind the things that I do? So I think, you know, just to give a kind of general tour around the Enneagram for some ideas, because sometimes this can help people start to whittle down, you know, um, I'm definitely not this type, but I might be this type you know, for ones, they just want to be good. And so they might have adopted because of the sense of like, it was the right thing to do. And that was my husband. He decided in middle school, he saw kids without families in his job. And he thought the right thing to do is to not necessarily bring more children into the world, but to give kids who don't have a home. Um, um, And for twos, they love to be needed. They love to be helpers. They love connection and relationship. Um, So it's, you know, a lot of twos will say, I just wanted to help, you know, I just wanted to help another, another child. Um, Lisa talked a little bit about threes, like, you know, even if it's not the reason why they adopt, they go and thinking like, 
we can, we can do this and we're going to do it. You know, we're going to succeed at it. We're going to do it, you know, the, all the way. Um, fours a, a lot of times don't mind hard, big feelings. Right. And so they're not um, intimidated by some of the stories of our kids and um, five love information. And so a lot of times they're the ones, it might not be exactly why they get into adoption, but they'll research the heck out of it right before they ever make a move. Um, sixes are very loyal. They can be very angsty and anxious, like Lisa mentioned, but they're also very loyal. And so if they get it in their head that that's what they want to do, like they're, they're loyal, you know, almost to a fault. Um, sevens, which is what I am, like we always think it'll be fine. We're like eternal optimists. And so I always joke, um, my husband thought he might've been a seven for a while. And I thought I might've been a one for a while. So, and sevens and ones share a line. So there's a lot of common characteristics between the two. And so we, once we figured out the Enneagram, we went, oh, well, of course that makes sense. Like, of course, that's how we got ourselves into the kind of the quote unquote mess we got ourselves into by adopting three kids out of birth order who weren't related, who are all teenagers. Like only someone who says, it'll be fine. That sounds fun. Like would, you know, get into that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. And then eights um, have a huge sense of justice and uh, will fight for an underdog. Right. And so if you think about how an eight might see a child who, who hasn't had a fair shot at life um, and nines want everyone to be okay. They want peace in all things. And so I think sometimes they think, you know, I can, I can provide that, that sense of peace to, to a child um, in my inner circle, you know, by bringing them in. So that's just like a real top level overview. One funny conversation we had, Melissa, was when we, we were talking about how we approach this so differently. And I remember you saying that one of you was filling out paperwork. Was it Patrick or you? And said, called over their shoulder to the other one, how many kids should we adopt? And you're like, oh, I had three, you know, like it's, we can do that. Yeah. For, for us, it was like, okay, this is a very serious conversation. <laughs> how many kids can we adopt? You know, and I was more... Um, I think optimistic than Russ because I had this sense of confidence, but we were, but it was like, it was a big conversation where for you guys, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh no. I, yeah. It's exactly right. Like I was like, they're asking us how many kids we'd like to adopt. And he was like, I mean, I think three sounds good. And then and I was like, and <laughs> so now they w- drew a number out of a hat. Like, ah, oh, yeah. this is a good one, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like a Powerball it- number. I know. And then he was, and I was like, now they're asking what ages. And he was like, well, toddler adoption hasn't been like, we'd already adopted our youngest son. He was like, I mean, whatever, just tell them like zero to 18, you know, like (laughs) just put down, just put down whatever they need. We'll just, it'll be fine. You know? And that's, and here we are. (laughs) I don't know if that, uh, I don't remember those kind of questions, Kristen. Did we get asked those kind of questions? Back in the day, that was a long time ago. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Probably not listening. I mean, that's, I was probably indicative. like, what do yep. you think? And you're like, oh, it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm doing here's something the thing. else. <laughs> here's the thing. If Mike is a three, like I am, we highly value efficiency and getting things done. Yes. So we don't like to get yes. bogged down in the nitty gritty. Like, let's just make this decision and move on because there is so much to do, which drives my husband crazy because he identifies as a one and ones want to do everything correctly. 
they want mm. to do everything right. And so me, That's I'm like, interesting. fill out the paperwork. Let's go. Let's go. And yeah. he's like, okay, no, we need to crank, you know, crunch all these numbers and figure out all these things and square footage or something of each bedroom. I don't know. Like he's a detail guy. Yeah. And so you might've missed a few of those details, Mike, if you're a bit like, <laughs> he's well, like, I don't remember you know, that. And it's so funny that that's what you just said there, because I was thinking back to, we were foster parents. So there are some parameters within, you know, what you can do. But when we did do a uh, private adoption through an agency, um, I remember filling out the box that said we would take twins or triplets. I mean, I thought, you know, what are the odds? But like somebody gives birth to triplets, that's probably fine. So I'm fascinated and truly perplexed by this conversation right now. As I'm listening to your explanations about things, I'm like, I know that this would help us to understand one another, but I'm still confused about where we are you know, when I think about like motivation. Yeah. There's another aspect too, that just all of a sudden occurred to me when in those early days of filling out that paperwork, um, I, at least I think you're right. I think it was that I, as you explained that, let's just get it done. Come on, let's move through this. I do have that with a lot of things. I don't recall, you know, Eight, 19 years ago, if that was the case, but that sounds a lot like me, but the other side, and this may be a whole nother conver- a different conversation, but the other side of me is that in that, in those days, I was really resistant to adoption and it, my heart had yet to really change. And I did have a changing, a moment of change in those early days. But I think in that early stage, when we were filling out that paperwork, I was kind of like, there was kind of like some denial. They're like, ah, yeah, we're going to do this. Okay. And then in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm not sure if I want to, you know, so that's, that may prompt a whole different conversation. (laughs) I don't know if that plays along with this right here or what number I am, if that also bodes with the number with the threes, but Mm -hmm. that that's also where I was at, you know, like, I don't want to do this, but okay, let's do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as you kind of try on different numbers, I'm a forward-thinking, future-facing self, and three numbers on the Enneagram are threes, sevens, and eights. And it's hard for me to think backwards into the past, but as people were describing what were kind of stereotypical seven behaviors because of the way we're motivated, I started having this like flashbacks from the past, you know, people would say like sevens, um, like they have this fear of missing out. Like they want to be everywhere. You know, they just love all the things. And, um, and I, at that point in time, I thought I was a one just because of life. And so I was in the details, I was criticizing everyone. And, um, and I had this like moment where I, I remember as a child, sitting on the steps in my house and my mom, it must've been like a Saturday. My mom was going to the grocery store and my dad was going to run errands like to Home Depot or something. And like, we just had to go, you know, I was young enough to, that I couldn't stay home alone. And I had to go with one of them. And my other siblings were like, they made the decisions. And I was in tears on the steps because I was thinking, I don't know which parent to go with because I might miss out. Like I wanted to be in both places because I might miss it. something exciting might happen with one or the other. <laughs> and I don't know where to go. <laughs> right. That's and I thought, so interesting. Yeah, right. Like, so and I'm thinking like quintessential seven moment. And so mm-hmm. I had to really think back, like, 
who I, and this is why working with adoptive and foster families, I think is so interesting because I mean, let's be honest, we're living in kind of chronic states of stress, most of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so that changes the way that our dominant type shows up in the world. And I think, um, and Lisa has had some experience with this too. Like, I think it causes us to mistype or misidentify sometimes Mm -hmm. because we're thinking about our behaviors right now. And some of us have been in this chronic stress for a decade or longer. Right. And we don't remember who we were as carefree 20 something year olds or seven year olds. And, but that's really where we see kind of the purest version of our type play itself out. And so it does take a little bit of, of self-reflection and, and thinking. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, I, um, my mom and I were talking about this too, and I know that's a lot of the advice into, um, you know, kind of trying to find your number is to think back. And I love that you said carefree 20 year old Mike's known me since I was 19. Have I ever been a carefree anything? I'm like, well, that doesn't apply. I just had like a little chuckle because I was like, no, I'm going to write the wrongs in yeah. the world and have been like that since I was little, whether that's yeah. injustice or you know, the way the silverware drawer is organized. And I'm not talking about as a mom, I'm talking about as a child. I used to get kids to trade me things for organizing their desks. I did not initiate that. Kids would say like, um, my parents were really frugal. So my kids would say things like, I'll give you my, you know, special colored pencils or my sassy magazine or something. If you'll organize my desk for me, because I was really good at Getting you, everything. You also just moms. dated yourself right there too when you brought up that magazine. Sassy magazine. <laughs> it's like the eighties, man. Well, I wasn't allowed to have that, <laughs> but um, mom, if you're listening, yeah, Chris, you, traded okay. me her sassy magazine. Okay, yeah, you talk about <laughs> so. carefree. The word carefree with Kristen, it's like she cares deeply and she loves free stuff. That's as far as you get <laughs> carefree. With carefree, See? right there. That's it, right there. <laughs> I'm wearing a free t-shirt right now that I just got. Seriously. Yes. Well, Kristen, I I resonate with that because I was never carefree either because I was always concerned with what do I need to do next, you know? And I particularly remember having a teacher in late elementary school who honestly, for some reason, didn't like me. I don't know why. I was new to the school and I remember thinking, what can I do to earn her, her Mm. love. I mean, not really her love, but I remember drawing things for her. I, I wrote an entire book of poems for her Mm. and I gave it to her. And do you know what she said? She said, you didn't write these yourself. (gasps) I mean, like stab a three's heart, you know, like I just wanted so much, like, Oh my God, the way, the way I was wired is if I do this, will you love me? Mm. If I do this, will you love me? And that is deep in me, (laughs) you know? And, um, yeah. So yeah, I have to really watch myself when I say, you know, what do I say yes to and why, why Mm -hmm. do I say yes to things? And why do I say no to things? You know, is it because as a three, we feel like we have to earn love through what we do. Mm. Right. Yeah. That is so wow. interesting because that's what I find fascinating about this. Because um, my reaction to that is if the teacher treated me that way, I would bring her to justice. And I'm talking about a third grader. I would have written yeah. a letter to the principal 
I would have brought my parents in for a conference. I would have had the 25 examples of how the teacher was treating someone poorly. So, and I would have had it organized okay. in a folder. <laughs> and, and for the sake of conversation, Lisa and Melissa, um, like this is like coach me on this one because my response would have been like, in my mind, I would have been like, that's not going to happen. I'm going to tell that teacher, I'm going to give that teacher the, the, I'm going to read them the riot act. Right. But I'd never actually do that. All it's the big talker, no action step. Like I would think in my mind, oh, it's on. But then I would never do anything about it. I would just quietly sit at my desk and think, you know, be sad, but never do anything about it. That mm-hmm. that that would have been me as a kid. Well, I, I can eliminate that, yeah. H for you, Mike. You are not okay. an eight. <laughs> Not an okay. <laughs> You know what I think is interesting is that even in having that conversation, as we listen to, you know, the heart of you, Lisa, and, and what was driving that, um, I think, had I been your mother in that situation, I would have had every administrator at the school dealing with that nonsense. Um, but you might not have accepted that response very well. And that is a place where I find uh, my interaction between my personality and the personalities of my eight children come to a, a clash. Um, I'm, I'm literally enraged that a teacher didn't like you. Lisa, I'm sorry. I can't imagine anybody not liking you. This is really upsetting right now. But um, I'm very much caught up in your teacher's business right now. But I'm thinking... How can we start to understand ourselves and then start to understand our children? Because Melissa, you said something about um, getting to the heart of what that is. What does my child need? How does, how is my child processing this? What is their personality um, thinking and doing? What's their motivation behind that? How can we start to understand ourselves and our children and address their needs better? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is with the Enneagram, right? At, at its core, it's a, it's a personal development tool. It's a journey of self-discovery. And so many people are always like, but what about my kids? Right. And, but the thing is, is, you know, and we've had this conversation in multiple different venues, we can only control ourselves and don't underestimate. And there's brain science to support this, you know, how your what, how okay you are and how that impacts the rest of your family, like your level of self-awareness and okayness and all of those things. So, I mean, I think Lisa and I would both say um, tests in the Enneagram world are overrated. It was not designed for an assessment like so many of the other personality tests that kind of start with an assessment. The Enneagram doesn't really start with an assessment. So, and because we're so interested in how this affects the dynamics of our entire family, I would say get a book or start listening to podcasts and start just learning about the nine types. Um, we love the book. Um, What's your Enneatype? Um, it's a bright, colorful book um, by Carver and Green. Um, and then podcasts. Lisa loves typology with Ian Morgan Cron, and I enjoy it as well. But my personal favorite is the Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile. Um, both of them are solid teachers, both believers. I mean, and just bring um, a depth to the Enneagram. And so you can start to listen to interviews with specific types. Most of them say it right in the title of the podcast and just start learning. Um, and the the journey of discovery in the Enneagram 
is just as important as, you know, when you're able to land on a dominant tape, it's like, it's, it's like the whole thing's a journey and there's just, you know, there's some flagship moments along the way. So don't think that you can't use this if you don't know your dominant type, you know, this whole um, learning process is really valuable. And while you're working on discovering your type, you will learn so much about the other types that that will benefit you in relationship with other people. I mean, it honestly took me a long time to figure out my type. And Melissa and I had, have had many, many conversations as I've tried to figure it out. And I, I just wasn't sure. And then one day I had this moment when I remembered something, a key thing. And I called Melissa and I said, Okay, I did just remember the award I got my senior year of high school, and it was the only one I wanted. I got most likely to succeed. And I thought, okay, that's pretty three-ish, you know, to get most likely to succeed. Whether or not my classmates would think I succeeded now, I do not know. But that was very important to me then. That's awesome. I, I, uh, I'm smiling right now because um, I got that award myself as well. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this this whole this whole podcast interview right now is freaking me out. <laughs> so, oh, Mike, I always knew that you and Lisa, I had a lot tell of me about I was gonna say, tell me about your 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 uh, your relatives because all of a sudden we may discover <laughs> that we're we are family or something like that. That's so funny. Well, that's um, the beauty of the Enneagram though, right? I'm, is people start to have these, oh, you too. Like I thought I was alone. Yeah. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was the weird kid because yeah. and then I mean, guys, only nine. Types. I mean, there's a lot of nuances, yeah. right? We're not all cookie cutters, right? Obviously, Mike, there's some personality traits that are different than Lisa's, even if you guys are sure. the same dominant type. But these core things that tie us together, I mean, only nine for all the billions of people in the world. And it's amazing what we start yeah. to find in common. And and you guys know from what you do with Honestly Adoption, like a sense of community is exactly really powerful yeah. in uh, the foster adoption world. Oh, yeah. To find out you're not alone. I mean, this just strengthens that 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 idea that we keep that we're telling parents like guys when we say you're not alone like check this out you really are not alone there are people out there that feel and think the same way that that you do you know i think that's just really encouraging uh really really uh really powerful so um how this is just this i agree with kristen this is a fascinating conversation we can just keep going on and on and on um, but let's talk about how um, people can connect with the two of you and what you guys are doing with uh, with the adoption connection, and then also um, with coaching. You guys do coaching just like we do. Um, what does that look like? What does a session, a coaching session, if I can say that right, look like with you guys? So let's talk about how they can connect with you, and then walk us through what a what a coaching session looks like. Well, people can find us in a whole bunch of places, you know, we have a podcast, the Adoption Connection podcast. We have a website, the Adoption Connection. We're pretty much the Adoption Connection everywhere, Facebook, um, Instagram. But we also have launched a group, the Enneagram and Adoption Collective. And that's just for adoptive and foster moms. But Mm -hmm. that's where we're having these rich, deep conversations. In addition, we do offer private coaching. Melissa, do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, I was going to say, like, the the conversation in community when it comes to the Enneagram, I think is 
super powerful. And that's why we're so excited about the collective. Um, we do do some private coaching. So if you're really interested in, if you're really confused about your type, although you don't have to know your dominant type to join the collective. So we get asked that question a lot um, because we can help you figure out that within the context of that. Um, but we do some private coaching if you want to do a typing session um, or if you really want to dig a little bit deeper, or if you want to have, you know, one of us work with maybe your entire family. Sometimes when you have kids who are a little bit older, we work with a lot of parents with teens and young adults, um, you know, just reach out to us at the, through the website or on, you know, send us a DM on Instagram and we can tell you more about that. Yeah. I'm also going to mention real quick that, um, you know, if you guys, uh, who follow us regularly are, um, uh, on our site, we also feature the adoption connection over on our resources, our partner resources, because you guys are amazing partners um, with us uh, in this great journey of helping parents succeed, helping parents um, become the best parent possible. So um, jump over. I think it's um, resources. I'm going to make sure I got that right here, but um, that's where you guys can also find more about you guys. So yeah, you guys really are everywhere. You're even over on our site. So there you go, guys. So, so much fun. This has been yeah. great. Thank you. Thanks so much. You know, the one thing I don't know if we said, but I think it's important to say is that really the Enneagram gives us more compassion for ourselves mm. and more compassion for the people we love and the people we interact with. And, you know, as spouses and parents and friends and everything, the more we can kind of get our heads around the fact that people do not see the world, they don't experience it the same way we do, then we can have so much more compassion for them. Mm, and I, definitely. I personally think that's one of the most beautiful parts about it. Yeah. Well, I still firmly believe that I do everything right, and it should all be my <laughs> way. But I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy Clearly, we need a coaching session ourselves. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But but I do think that opening our minds to other ways of seeing the world around us um, really can help us to understand our family members well um, and and to be the kind of parent that I think we always dreamed of being no matter what our motivation was behind that. So Lisa and Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate you guys too. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. Even though the podcast is on summer break for July, we are still meeting at least weekly in the village and we'd love to have you join us to find out more information. Visit the adoption connection.com slash village as a valued podcast listener. We'd like to offer you half off of your first month Just use the code podcast when you check out. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.